Let me ask you a question. Is work to you a burden or a blessing? Is work to you a burden or a blessing? I'm going to guess about a third of you say burden, a third of you say blessing, and a third of you say both. Depends on the day. Depends on the boss, right? We're going to talk about this interesting thing that we call work and this really weird holiday we call Labor Day. You know, we, we take this first Monday of September and we call it Labor Day and then we don't do any labor. We take the day off, right? Or many do. Uh, how many of you have to work on Labor Day tomorrow? Some of you do. Oh, God bless all of you. Uh, but it's, it's this weird, it's weird because it's not really a religious holiday at all. It's not necessarily a patriotic holiday, although it's, it's beginnings have to do with uh, promoting the American worker, and that's a good thing. And America has uh, amazing workers, and we've been a, a great country as far as innovation and hard work and producing things over the, over the decades. But it's not really like any of those holidays, right? But it is a bookmark or a bookend to the summer. You know, you have Memorial Day is kind of the, the beginning of summer, and then the other Monday holiday is Labor Day, the end of summer. But listen, folks, we need all the summer we can get here in the Midwest, so don't check out mentally tomorrow. Uh, we have almost three more weeks until the autumnal equinox, and then you can check out of summer, okay? Uh, but it's it's just a strange a strange holiday, but I, I, I do like it. You know, it's it's a fun thing. Uh, to uh, to do something a little different. Now, we're going to talk about work today, and we're going to see what the Bible has to say about uh, work, labor, occupation. When I was young, I had a bunch of jobs, uh, early jobs. They didn't all work out. Uh, the first one, I worked at an orange juice factory. Pretty cool, but I couldn't concentrate, so I left that one. <laughs> and then, I believe it or not, I became a lumberjack. I quit that because I couldn't cut it. And then I went on into being a tailor. It didn't last long. It didn't suit me. And then I went off into the muffler business. It was exhausting. The pool, I was in a pool company, construction company, but that was draining. So then the job I really liked the most before I became a pastor was the coffee shop. Oh, coffee shop's great. Very highly caffeinated. The smells are wonderful. But, you know, after a while, you just can't handle the daily grind. So eventually, I, the, the fail-safe is pastor. One day a week, you know, I can handle that. What is this thing called labor? and Why do we do it? Is it a burden? Is it a blessing? Let's go to God's word and let's see what he has to say about this. You've seen the catchy bumper sticker, a good day at fishing is better than a... No, it's the, it's the reverse of that. A bad day of fishing is better than a good day at work. Have you ever heard that? Now listen, I've had bad days of fishing and I don't like bad days of fishing. Okay, so I'm not even sure if that's right. But I do know this. I know that work is good. Work is part of God's plan. It was part of the perfect creation. And therefore, I think we need to look at work biblically. The Bible actually has a lot to say about work. There's about 650 verses in the Bible about work, and there's about the same number, 650 verses in the Bible about rest. Isn't that interesting? The, the balance that we, we find in Scripture on those uh, two issues. But is work a burden or is work a blessing? Let's look at Genesis chapter 2, 
And we're going to see, and this is really, we keep going back to Genesis here at Quint Road. And the reason is because it's the first book. It's, it's the origins. It's the foundational book of scripture, the foundational book of the world. And so if we really want to know, is work a burden or blessing? I think we do need to go back to the origin of work. And where do we find it? Well, Genesis 2, verse 2, the Bible says, on the seventh day, God ended his, what? Work. And then it says, which he had made. Why do we work? We work to produce something. a, a Something that is a material good, or maybe it's a... Uh, in the intellectual good or a service. We work to create, right? So when we work, we're really modeling God. And we are made in his image and we're made in his likeness. So therefore it makes sense to me that if God worked and creates and is creative and that he made us like him, then that is a, a, a quality or an attribute that we all have. All right? So on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day. So we, we find in this second chapter of the Bible, we find work and we find rest. It said he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had made. Let me ask you a question. Was he tired? Six days of creation. That would be exhausting for most of us. Well, obviously... He spoke and it was. Most of the things he spoke into existence, although he took a little more time with us because he formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into man's nostril the breath of life. So we're unique. We're different. We're not like the, the, the animals. We're not like the, the, the creatures that God, God made us so different and unique. But he rested not because he was tired. He, he was, and listen, if we would create a one-tenth of one percent of what he did in a week or in a year or in a, a lifetime, we would be wiped out. But he just did it like that. See, we serve a God that doesn't get tired. He doesn't sleep. He doesn't slumber. We have an all-powerful, almighty God. So why did he rest on the seventh day? He blessed the seventh day, verse 3, and sanctified it because that in it he had rested from all his work which God created and made. He did it for an example. He did it to show us what we need. As the creator, he is the one that understands what he created, and he is basically the one writing the owner's manual. And this is the owner's manual. So, so we have this thing that we call work because God works and he wants us to work and he wants us to do that for six days. And then on the seventh day, he rested as an example for us to take that time to not work, to refresh mentally and spiritually. We, we worship on a Sunday, not on the seventh day of the week, which was Saturday. We worship on a Sunday and we as a Western society, we take off Sunday too because it's the day of the resurrection. Okay, this in most play, or most most non-Western countries, a Sunday is the first day of the week. Everyone's going back to work on a Sunday. That's what they do in Israel. So why do we why do we stop? Why do we rest? Why do we worship? Because that's the model that our Creator gave us. You know, it's really funny to me. Many people that don't know God 
or might, might even say, I don't believe in God, or if there is a God, I'm not sure if there's any way to, to know him. They still follow along with this concept of a day of rest, don't they? A day off. And so let's think about that. So God does this. And then in the Garden of Eden, he places Adam. Look at Genesis 2.15. It says, And the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and keep it. Isn't that interesting? Mankind has the ability to work and a, a and I think a deep down desire to work, to create, to improve. And God put them, Adam and Eve, in this perfect environment and he gives Adam a responsibility. You're to run this. You're to make it better. You're to improve it. You're to, to tend it. And so work is part of the original plan of God. And if it's, if it was, listen, if you don't hear anything else I say, listen to what I'm about to say. If work was part of the original perfect creation, how much more important might it be in our fallen world? Okay. So work is something that God has designed for our good, for our betterment, betterment. Now work could easily become a drudgery. Right, especially if it's a repetitious thing or a very physical uh, job. But I tell you, any work you do, unless it's something in a sinful area, every everything that you do is a work that will glorify God. Work pleases God because you're doing what He did. You're emulating Him. You're fulfilling your purpose in life. And work is something that we find in Scripture. Look at Ecclesiastes 5.19. It says, Every man also to whom God hath given riches and wealth, and hath given him power to eat thereof, and to take his portion, and to rejoice in his labor. This is called the gift of God, folks. To rejoice in your labor. Some people say, oh, I can't wait to retire. And then they do, and they are bored stiff. She's ready to, to do something to this guy because, you know, he doesn't know what to do after working for 30, 40, 50 years and now sits around. You know, fishing and golfing is fun for a while. And then, uh, it's, I don't know. We just, we need to have that, that, uh, creativity, that, that, that work that we do. It's part of God's plan. Now, I don't think work used to be as demanding as it is today because of sin. Remember, part of the curse was to enter into uh, the the world, the curse, thorns and thistles, and to, now you it used to be able to work, and it was it wasn't hard, it was just enjoyable. That was all it was. But now it is hard. You have to work by the sweat of your brow. The Bible says because of the curse of sin that now affects the world, and just to survive, work becomes a lot harder. But it can still be a blessing. It doesn't need to be a burden. Now, one of the most amazing creatures that I've ever seen is the bee. Now, some of you don't like bees because you don't want to get stung. Um, I would say maybe be a little harder on the wasps and the hornets, but not the bees, the little honeybees. Just let, have you ever seen people tending a beehive? I'm amazed because a lot of them don't have all the stuff. I would have all the stuff and I'd have the smoke and I'd, they just go in there and there's just bees all over the place and they're calm and they do the thing and that's incredible to me. So <clears throat> think about the bee for a second. That little bee 
That little brain. Can you imagine the size of the brain of a bee? Hey, listen, folks, we've got a much bigger brain. Okay. But think of what the bee can do. Some of you say, I'm not so sure about that. About you, pastor. Now, you don't have to think that. Well, think about the bee for a second. This little bee can cover a territory of 20 square miles and has all of the flowers and the, the, the blossoms memorized and can direct once he finds that, uh, pollen, he, he can, he can direct all the bees from the hive to exactly that distance and location. That bee, once the, and can build, by the way, thousands of those little honeycombs for honey and another, I think it's like 12,000 for larva. Uh, it can, it can create all of this. And then once it gets too hot, what they do is they, uh, the bee will gather all of the swarm into uh, basically a fan and they will glue their feet down and they'll use their wings to create this airflow through the hive. Now, if a bee with a little bee brain can do that, what can we do? Right. And this is to me, I mean, God says, consider the ant. Let's look at God's creation and let's be inspired by that. And you really, a lot of the technologies in the world, uh, they've studied creation you know, for, for submarines, they've looked at certain, you know, dolphins and stuff like that. And to, to understand how we can better create things for airflow or water flow or, or whatever, we, we look at creation. I love that. Even those that don't believe in God are still studying his creation to improve our life. And we do live in an age of incredible technologies and incredible, uh, advancements. I was just thinking this morning as I was getting ready, I walked into the bathroom and flipped the light on and the lights came on everywhere. You know, how much work would it have taken just to have light in your house? Uh, how much work would it have taken to have water in your house, to have hot water in your house, you know? So we have it so good. We have it so easy today. Let's not forget that. And it's taken work, right, to create all that. Now, the Bible is clear about work. And I would say most of you uh, work hard and and I think uh, uh, do an amazing job wherever you work and uh, most most of you. But there's a few. I think Elon Musk said he fired a, a, was it half the people at Twitter when he bought it, something like that. And like hardly anything changed. So listen, folks, <clears throat> Second Thessalonians. And there are plenty of you, I'm plenty of you, there's probably a few of you listening to my voice. I'm sure you're not here today, but a few of you listening to my voice that uh, you, you don't work hard, you, you go to work and you waste time and you do the least amount possible for your paycheck. You know what that is? That's stealing. That's stealing. We're going to come back to that in a second, but okay. Second Thessalonians 3.10, what does the Bible say about work? Well, it says, if you don't work, you shouldn't eat. Do you have any kids in the home? Do they know how to work? If they don't work, folks, you know what the Bible says. That'll solve it really quick. They don't clean their room, then they don't eat. Oh, I can't do that to my kid. Well, I'd try it. I'd try it. Okay, teach your kids how to work. Don't be a slave driver, but, you know, they should be, they should be able to do a lot actually around the home. We had lots of responsibilities and it was fun. Like you can make work fun. Did you know that? 
And so uh, if you don't work, you don't eat, according to God. Um, and Colossians 3.22, and also says the same thing in Ephesians 6, look at that later, that when you work, you work unto the Lord. You work unto the Lord. Look at Colossians 3.22, servants obey all in, in all things your masters according to the flesh, not as I, not with eye service, as men pleasers. So you're not just doing it to get noticed. You're not just doing it to please your boss for promotion or raise sake, but you're doing it in singleness of heart, fearing God. You're doing it because this is what God wants for you in life. He wants for you to work hard. And by the way, the context here of servants and masters, remember in that day, this was written during the Roman empire, there were more slaves than there were free. Now, evangelical Christians, Bible-believing Christians, uh, when America was formed and later on in, in Europe came together eventually to abolish that horrible institution of slavery, but it was very much a part of the world in that day. It was almost like a, a, a employer-employee relationship for many. So God is saying, obey those things that your master says according to the flesh. Of course, if you're if your boss tells you to sin, you don't, okay? There's a higher law than this law, and that's you don't steal or you don't uh, cheat. If your boss tells you to cheat, to uh, to change the numbers so that whatever, you don't do that. But everything you can do that isn't wrong, you do. Why? Because the Bible, it says, whatsoever you do, verse 23, do it heartily, and here's the kicker. You might want to underline this verse, especially if you don't like your boss. As to the Lord. In other words, the Bible is telling you that you need to treat your boss as if it's Jesus Christ telling you what to do. Now that's tough. It's really hard in our sin-cursed world, in our fallen world. But that's what the Bible says. As to the Lord and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. It's all about the Lord Christ. And a lot of the results of being this way in life and working hard and being ethical and, and not wasting time, a lot of the reward of that is going to be eternal. Eternal. So remember that as well. Whatever vocation you have, if it's an honorable one, work hard as if it's the Lord as your boss. And then another thing that work can do for you is work will help you give. Work enables Giving. Look at Ephesians 4.28. Let him that stole steal no more. Of course, that's, that's the way to get something without working. But rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. It's not only about supporting yourself and your family. It's not only about putting food on the table and putting shoes on the kids' feet. Work is so that you can give. Isn't that amazing? That's one of the reasons to work, is so we can give, so we can be generous. As someone has a need, that we can help that person's need. You say, well, what if it's the government wanting me to give the government money and taxes to to give money to someone that won't work? Well, that's kind of a problem, and maybe we need to change some laws about that. And I think the best, I don't think the government is the best at at helping the, the poor. I think it's, it's, uh, faith organizations because we, we don't waste. We're careful. It's going to people that really need it, not the scammers. And so, but anyways, that's a whole nother issue. But when we work, 
we now have the ability to bless and to help and to give. And so that's another good reason to work. Now, after saying all of that, the blessing of work and how it's part of the original creation and how we need to do it to be fulfilled and that when we retire, we need to still continue to be occupied. Can work consume us? Can work? Can we do too much work? John Wesley, one of the, the famous preachers during the late Reformation, he, it says that he was waiting at a door and he was impatient. And he says, as he's waiting, he said, I've lost 10 minutes forever. And, and someone comes up to him and says, John, you know, you, you need to not, you need to not, uh, uh, be in such a hurry. And he goes, I don't even have time to hurry. I'm in such a hurry. So, so we can, we can be consumed by busyness. But we also find that rest is very important and God rested on the seventh day of creation, not because he needed to, but because we needed to, to show us the example of that. So to understand the balance of hard work, but then also taking time to rest and to worship, I think the best passage is in Luke chapter 10. We have the perfect story of something that happened in Jesus' day, in Jesus' life, when he came to a couple of his friends' house, they lived just to the east of Jerusalem in a little town just on the other side of the Mount of Olives called Bethany. And there, there were two sisters and a brother. The brother was Lazarus, who would later be risen from the dead by Jesus. But the two sisters were Mary and Martha. And we read in Luke 10, verse 40, but Martha was cumbered about with much serving. What is cumbered about? Well, the Greek is perispao, and it means to drag all about. You know, have you ever gotten yourself in a situation and you have company coming over and you're trying to make the house clean and get the meal prepared and make sure everything's just perfect? You know, what makes it harder today is Instagram and Pinterest and because now you know what's possible and now you know what's perfect and you're trying to put perfect out there and, and like like you, you want people to come into your house and just think you have the perfect little Pinterest life you know let me just let you down hard it's all fake folks it's just in, just for the picture what what if you didn't see all the other stuff that's not in the picture okay Seriously, don't let that stuff deceive you and fool you. I'm not saying be a slob. Certainly, God is a God of order. God is a God of design. And I think we ought to be orderly in our life. And I think generally we need to make sure that our house is straight and that we can, we can go through life. You know, it's kind of like the, there was a, a wonderful man that was a member of our church uh, for a long time and he just passed away and he had a work truck. He was an HVAC guy. And he had every tool known to man in the back of his pickup truck with a cap on it. But it was, it was just, there was no organization. It was just all in there. And he would send us out to go find a saw or something. And we'd be digging for about a half hour, come out sweating, couldn't find it. Dave, I can't find the saw. And he'd kind of shake his head and just stomp out there, reach his hand in and grab it, pull it out. Like, how can we, how can we make sure that we're organized and our life is, is, is neat and, and tidy without being consumed by that? But she was cumbered about. 
It was almost like it was dragging her all over the place, having everything so perfect for the Lord. And by the way, that's a good thing because it was Jesus. It's the Messiah. He's coming to dinner and I want it to be perfect for him. I want him to have the most amazing meal. I think the heart is right. But Martha was cumbered about with much serving and came to him and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Now, I think that Martha, because of pressure, said things that she wished she hadn't said. Has that ever happened to you? You get under that pressure and man, it's piling up and then you say something. But once you say it, it's like a shotgun. You can't find all of the BBs. You can't take it back, can you? But there she, she just said it. And I think sometimes we need to be just honest with the Lord. Don't you care that my sister's not helping me? And Jesus answered and said unto her, and I think he just did this in the most calming, soothing, wonderful voice. And he repeated her name, Martha, Martha. Not like Martha, Martha, you know. Martha, Martha, thou art careful. That word means anxious or too full of care. You're, you're anxious, anxious and you're troubled about many things. He gets right to the heart of the issue, doesn't he? And he's going to teach her and us a valuable lesson about the balance between work and rest, between work and worship. Somebody said this, it is important that we take the gospel to lost souls. It's important to be ambassadors, working to represent the Lord as we should. It's important to be merciful, helping the downtrodden, hurting people. But we need to be careful not to let work overcome worship. Now, the brother of John Wesley wrote a hymn about Mary and Martha and about the balance between work and worship. In his hymn, the lyrics, some of the lyrics say this, faithful to my Lord's command, I still would choose the better part. Serve with careful Martha's hands and loving Mary's heart. You see that? You see that balance between the two, work and worship. We need to make sure that there is a balance there, that we don't Overwork or underwork that we make sure we set, set up time to rest and to worship. Well, what happens here? Jesus says in Matthew 4, 4, that there's more important things than a earthly meal. He says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. We have to remember that. We have to remember the importance of what God says and make sure that we are sitting at his feet, that we are in essence being a Mary. And when he, every day that we have a time that we can hear from God and we can read what he has said and let that penetrate our hearts because we can't live by bread alone. So what we do with Christ is more important than what we do for Christ. I actually think it, what we do with Christ will, will direct us in what we do for Christ. Okay. You have to have both. We have to be motivated by love and attention to him. Why is it so important that we stay close to Jesus Christ? Well, he taught something. Look at John 15. He taught something very, very important. In verse five, we'll read it in a second. The other day we have uh, these trees growing up between our house which is here on the property, it's a parsonage, and another building. 
Uh, on the other building, there's an internet, I don't know what you call it, but like uh, an antenna and it pushes the internet to another receiver. And uh, that's how we get internet at our house. And so when I'm working and I can't download an Ingrace video and I check the speed and it's really low, I type an email to our IT guy, Joe, what's going on? And he'll usually say, well, I think the trees have grown up. So I go out there with my chainsaw and I start, remember, I was a, I was a lumberjack. Um, I start cutting down these branches. I don't know how they grow so fast. And only the ones blocking my wireless internet grow incredibly fast. So I'm chopping down all these branches. I did that about three weeks ago. And then I was kind of lazy or busy. I'd like to think busy. And I didn't remove the branches. I just left them where they lay. They weren't in the way. I just left them on the ground. I saw them yesterday. And I'm looking at them like, boy, somebody really ought to do something with those. And um, I texted Karen. And so, but I noticed that these branches that had had so much life and green and they were incredible. They were, they were all shriveled up. All the leaves were brown and shriveled up. It was, it was kind of sad, except I had, I had good internet. So I didn't really care too much about it, but I remembered something. I, I remembered if those limbs aren't attached to that tree, those limbs are no longer reserving, getting any more nourishment. They're not receiving any any more life. Now, salvation, at salvation, when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we believe in him, we are now in him and he is in us. We're not talking about salvation. We're talking about us growing and producing fruit in our life. And to do that, we have to stay attached to the vine. Jesus said in John 15, 5, I am the vine. Ye are the branches. If you're not attached, you're going to shrivel up. If you are attached, you're going to bear fruit. It says, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him. In other words, sitting every day at the feet of Jesus, learning from him. The same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, I want you to read the next words. Ye can do nothing. Okay. So listen, if serving the Lord makes you irritable and hard to live with, something's wrong. Something's wrong. Okay, let's go back and see what else Jesus said in Luke 10, 42. But one thing is needful, he says. Mary hath chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Martha needed to hear some words of love and encouragement, and but also correction. Martha, you need to not be as consumed by everything being perfect because the perfect one is here. You need to, you need to realize that you're preparing food for a perishing body. Okay? And Mary has focused on the spiritual portion that will endure forever. Okay, so that's something to remember. Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, "Come ye unto me, all that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest." So there's a balance. And I started the sermon by saying, "Work is good. Work is great. Work hard and create and be fulfilled. And work can can enable you to provide for yourself, for your family, and to give to God and give to the needs of people." But we also need to rest. 
We also need to take that load off and put it on Jesus. He can bear it. We were filming in Petra, Jordan a few months ago, and we uh, saw all over the place they had these beasts of burden, these donkeys, that they would just pile high with all sorts of goods and food and bring them up. Uh, you have to, you have to go way up this, this mountain to, uh, they have a restaurant up there and they, they're selling all this stuff way up there. And the, you can also hire these animals to, to bring you up or bring you back down. And I just looked at these animals and they are so good at taking that load and going up and coming down. And, and I think, I thought of what Jesus said. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Think about the rest that you can find in Jesus Christ. I'm going to end with a story, and this is a a beautiful story about Abraham Lincoln. It is said that one day he walked to the square of the city, and he came to a slave auction. And as he was standing there, he was watching human beings being sold as animals, and his heart broke, especially for one young woman who was uh, being sold. And she stepped up to the podium and, and in her eyes, you could see all the humiliation and all the hurt of, of all the years that she had been a slave and had been abused. And he had a pity on her. He had compassion on her. So he starts to bid. And he's bidding and there's another person bidding and he keeps raising his bid and she's looking at him with scorn. Finally, he wins the auction and she puts her head down and she says, sir, what do you want to do with me? And he said, I want to set you free. She says, set me free. Does that mean I can go anywhere I want to go? He says, yes, you can go anywhere you want to go. She says, does that mean I can do anything that I want to do? He says, yes, you're free to go and do whatever you want to do. And she turns to him and looks at him a lot different. And says, then I want to serve you. He bought her freedom. He paid the price and gave her freedom from that bondage, from that, the shackles. And says, now you have true freedom. And her response is to want to serve him. Because he is a good man that he would do that for her. And so it is with God. We are bound in shackles. We are slaves to sin and we're under the penalty of sin. And the Bible says that our sin separates us from a God who is perfect. What are we going to do? A lot of people say, I'm just going to be religious. I'm going to be a good person. I'm going to research all the religions and pick one and I'm going to do what they say to do. And I hope one day I'll achieve nirvana, paradise, or heaven. The Bible says that the best you can do is nothing but filthy rags in God's eyes. That's the best you can do for God. No, you have nothing to offer him. There is one God. He created us. We sinned, we rebelled, and he sent his son to die for us. Jesus came into the world, never, ever sinned, yet he hung on a cross to become sin for you. He died, yet he rose again. He defeated death, and he's alive today. And he gives an invitation to you, and I'm going to read his invitation to you in John 3:16. For God so loved the world, Jesus said, that he gave his only begotten son, referring to himself, that whosoever, that's anybody, anybody, whosoever believeth, that means to trust in him, not to trust in a pastor or a priest, not to trust in penance, 
not to trust in prayer, but to trust in him should not perish. That's eternal separation from God in hell, but have everlasting life. That is the best news in the entire universe. That's the story of the Bible. It's a love story. It's a story of how we fell and how our creator redeemed us. But he doesn't force himself on you. He offers this as a gift to you. It's a gift, it says in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. It's by grace that you're saved through faith. That word faith is the same word as believe. One's a noun, one's a verb. So this is the noun, faith. And not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. Salvation is offered to you as a gift. What do you have to do to to get a gift? You just take it. What do you have to do to be saved? According to the Bible, you just believe. You just have faith. Faith in what? Not in religion, not in yourself. You have faith in Jesus. Jesus, the son of God, died on the cross for your sins and rose again. You trust in that and trust in him. Not of works, lest any man should boast. And if you don't know that, you can know that today. You could say something like this to the Lord. I'm a sinner and I know I can't save myself, but right now I believe that Jesus died for me. And I want to have the gift of everlasting life. And if you'll do that, the Bible says you're now a child of God and that will never be broken. You can be saved and you can be in the hand of God and he will never let you go. And then everything that we do from here on out is to serve him. The next verse says we are his workmanship created in good works. Works are important. Work is good, especially work for God but works can't save you. It's a gift. Once you receive the gift, then you can serve. Not to be saved, not to stay saved, but because you're saved. Now, the rest that Jesus gives is a rest that he has purchased. And that's not the complete absence of work, but it's the freedom to finally do work and be what God has designed you to be and to bring him glory. And I hope that you have received that gift of eternal life. Let me show it to you by a a simple illustration my dad used to do all the time. He would say, let my hand represent us, you and me, and my wallet represents sin. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Jesus had no sin, but he was made sin for us. 2 Corinthians 5.21, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Isn't that amazing? Jesus had no sin. He died on the cross to become sin for us. He paid for our sins and he rose again. And he wants you to believe in him. And once you do, just him alone, you're saved. And you're in the hand of God. I invite you to put your faith in Jesus Christ today to understand as a sinner, you need a savior and put your trust in him.